Welcome to Educator Forever, where we empower teachers to innovate education. Join us each week to hear stories of teachers expanding their impact beyond the classroom and explore ways to reimagine teaching and learning. Casey Agena is an education consultant based in Honolulu, Hawaii, and has varied experience in education technology, curriculum, and finance. Most recently, he has supported school teams and ed tech companies in the K-12 and higher ed space as a technical writer and provided support with his knowledge of funding streams in the public sector for education. When he's not working, he can be found playing with his three children, surfing, or watching the Boston Red Sox. Welcome, Casey. So glad you're here with us. Oh, thanks. Awesome to be here. Wonderful. Well, I like to start with the same question every time, which is tell us about your journey as an educator. Being here and from the 50th state, it's been kind of a a wild journey by myself, with my wife, with my kids, and uh, they have been part of the journey as well. Classroom teacher for many years in both elementary and middle school worked in Boston, worked in San Francisco, worked in Seattle, right here in Honolulu, Hawaii, and then was able to take, I guess, everything that I've done working with children, working with families, working with colleagues, working with administrators, working uh, the policy level with government, and figuring out how all those pieces of that puzzle really kind of helped to bring a picture together of what that map of that journey is. And it wasn't until about five years ago where I really had a sense that I quote unquote do things for myself, that I didn't have to have this uh, reliance on somebody else to be my personal and professional compass that I could actually kind of help dictate that. And that's where that kind of bridge from not only continuing to work, in schools and in districts at the state level where I love doing my work, but being able to bridge that to the whole ecosystem of education, not only K-12 higher ed, but those partners, nonprofit, for-profit corporations, ed tech companies, all of that that really makes up the experience of education for our children, students now. And it's been a really wild ride, I guess, in terms of a journey. It's, it's, and, it's, and it's still going and it's still going. Yes, I love that. And I love how you pointed out that it was like this realization that you could kind of have some control and agency over your professional journey. And I think that that is something that I work with teachers a lot around, you know, empowering teachers to be the voice that we need and the change that we need in education. But it starts by empowering yourself. And I think that you can't really go on to that next level until you have that realization or take the leap or kind of decide, right? Like, hey, I'm going to do something else and that I can do it. And I think it's especially sometimes hard for teachers who it's like systemically were not given a voice to take that step forward. And it's not like you're you're completely creating a whole new persona for yourself and move forward. It, it, it really is this ideology that take all of the things that you have done before looking at all the skills that you have that really highlight uh, the type of person and professional that you are, and how might you be able to pivot that, pivot, keyword, 
to something that is really meaningful for you for quote unquote, that next chapter in your life or whatever it may be. And I think those those transcending skills, as well as all of those experiences really do lend itself to many different facets of just learning. And as we're starting to see a number of educators kind of, whether it's getting burnt out, whether it's getting tired, whether it's like, hey, you know, I've done this, I feel like I need to do something else, particularly in the past 12 to 24 months, as we're kind of seeing this both feeling as well as uh, thought-provoking pieces sure. on uh, LinkedIn or what stories people like educators are saying that I'm kind of looking for something else. Yet there's this stuckness too. Like, do I really fit in that? I've I've really worked myself into this position, and I don't think I have those transferable skills, but they actually do. Absolutely, yes, for sure. And I think some of it is like we think that to do something new, it has to be completely new. Right. And that, you know, you take for granted all the things that you've learned in the classroom and learned from being a teacher, which is different for all of us, you know, so having that reflective time of just like, yeah, what have I learned on a broad scale, and taking that forward into the next chapter. It's small things like, you know, I, I think working in K-12, for example, even though I might be doing some different consulting, and I might be doing some different things, not necessarily in the classroom with kids, I'm doing really kind of whole ecosystem of of education the small thing is that there's still this kind of there's still the bouncer at the door there whenever you're working with uh educators they especially if you're not in the classroom they want to know have you done it before do you know how it feels like it's like that bouncer at the door Uh, whether you're doing uh professional development or you're coming to speak or like you know, especially if uh, you have these teachers who it's maybe it's 3.30 in the afternoon. They're like, oh, what does this person <laughs> have coming in? I'm tired. I What's for dinner tonight? Like all these things. And they're going to check out and talking to them. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's small things like, you know, continuing to hold on to my teaching certificate, paying the, I don't know, 55 some odd dollars <laughs> to oh, just kind of keep it active. Actually, every time I'm like, I guess yeah. I'll renew it. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think it's a small thing, but it's so meaningful for teachers. Like, okay, it's kind, of, it's it's like you're, uh, you know, I, I'm over twenty one. I can go into the club. <laughs> totally. Yes, I love that idea. I mean, it's so true, and I think it's like also a testament to how much bad PD and bad experiences teachers are put through. Where it's like you have to, you know, it makes you a little bit skeptical sometimes trying to suss out who's legit. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. I've been trying to trying to figure it out in terms of why do we feel this way? Why? And I, I feel like I felt that way too, maybe when I was uh, in the classroom, like, do they know like this person coming in talking to us? Do they really know if they're a consultant or if they're providing PD or if it's a sales rep trying to like help us procure something like, do they really know what it's like? Yeah. Totally. Totally. I know. I mean, I think it's multi-layered probably, but so much of it, I think, is like teachers not having a voice yeah. in their day-to-day life. So then somebody else comes in with like a louder voice, you know? And so it's like, yeah, why do they get to come in and like tell me what to do in my classroom? And I can't even tell anybody of like what's working in my classroom. Like, I feel like a lot of it is just this like systemic putting teachers down that makes them skeptical of anybody, even if it's like the best, right? Where you're like, oh, it's the best. Like, this is really helping me. Being put in that place over and over, feeling like you don't have a voice makes you 
skeptical and burnout and not open to many of the things we want teachers to be open to. It's going to be really interesting, I think, uh, from this point moving forward, the system as a whole for preparing teachers to onboarding teachers to supporting them throughout their career. I feel like we're at this real kind of pivotal moment kind of looking forward on what does an industry look like? There's the fiscal piece on how do we, how much do we recognize the work that educators do and what is their worth? There is the, I guess, the system piece where we've always talked about, you know, the pipeline from pre-service, whether it's at the university or whatnot, kind of the onboarding to the hiring recruit. What is it, it felt so fragmented in the past. I'm wondering, and even now, I'm wondering if that's going to change kind of moving forward. Mm-hmm. The skill set of, of the teachers that will be in the classrooms from for the next few years moving forward. And we've always talked about those things changing and like, you know, the 21st century students and the 21st century teachers, that sort of thing. We're in the 21st century and we're <laughs> kind of moving forward. So, so, so what are those skill sets that are really needed with all that's kind of being thrown away from AI to chat GPT to all of these things that are part of our livelihood right now? And how much of that effect impacts the classroom and what skills do they have? So it's, it's a real pivotal time here for us as myself having young ones in elementary school. You know, I'm just starting out on their, their learning journey. And so what's in it for them kind of moving forward? And I'm, 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 I think that's kind of helped me to figure out what can I do to be a participant in the environment for which they're learning in and how can I help? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know I had that same experience after my kids started elementary school too, of being like, oh, it's just, a, it's a different angle, you know, and you see it even more, I think, you know, you have multiple kids as do I. And so it's like seeing different kids go through the same system too is interesting of just like what works for each kid and what doesn't work and seeing it from a teacher side and a, a parent side too. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I agree that we're at a, pivotal moment where it's like, I really hope there is this openness, which goes back to kind of what we were saying before with teachers, you know, feeling silly sometimes and definitely empathize, you know, of not so open to the new ideas. And I think also on like big, big, large scale levels, you know, it's like either we can be open to these new ideas of like, yeah, how do we use AI in the classroom? Or Mm -hmm. how can we think about compensating teachers differently? Or how can we think about creating different career pathways for teachers that don't just end with being in the classroom. You know, some people want to move on and do other things as we did. So thinking a little bit more holistically about all the different parts and are we going to be open to it and think about other alternatives or is it like, we're going to just keep trying to fit things in this old way of doing things and see what fits and try and kind of squeeze it in, which I think is not really working. So I hope the first way. (laughs) Well, that's where I, I think the leadership is going to be key too. on one, how individuals are managing and leading education organizations, how adept they are to understanding the challenges that teachers have and that students and families have currently moving forward, and how open are they to not doing the easy way, but really challenging themselves to really moving forward. I think that, I think that 
that's going to be tough. Yeah. And like aligning to what really matters. You know, I think sometimes it's like you have to just step out of all the things we've been doing and be like, Mm -hmm. well, what really what do we really want to teach kids? Like, what is important? What are the things we want them all to graduate knowing and being able to do and then kind of going backwards from there? And even on that end, too, I think we're seeing even just small things like requirements for college application are changing. I mean, it's not, you know, the same old of get your SATs or ACT scores high and get this on your transcript and get these recommendations and that's it. And I think we're seeing from the university side of things, changes happening there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like, how do we build a system that's dynamic? Because things will always be changing, right? And things like that's also how we learn how we get better, right? Is by adapting and making these changes. So how can that be built in, you know, that it's not just like, all right, we're getting things, we're doing things kind of for what works right now, but also having kind of a feedback loop and ways of checking in moving forward. There's many solutions out there to kind of help educators move that needle, help educators to kind of get through that. And and I think with myself working with a few different education technology ed tech companies, it wasn't until I really started working with them how much work they are doing to solve a problem with the end in mind. They know that this product is going to do X for the sake and benefit of the teachers, the classrooms, and the student. Whether it's a software developer, a data analyst, the quality assurance person, the customer success, they're making a product, a widget, they're selling it, but there's a reason and rationale why too, that there is this gap that they recognize and they're going to do their darndest to figure out a way how to close that gap and looking for schools and systems that would want to adopt it to address it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting to think about how ed tech or kind of places outside of school districts, you know, can work to improve the landscape of education. And I think, you know, I've worked in ed tech also for many years now. And I think there like, are people who are doing these amazing products and creating these amazing services for great reasons. And based on research and based on real gaps, I think there also can be like, people who don't have the educational experience that they need and go out and create these products that are like, recreating things that we know don't work. I'd love to hear from you about your experience working with ed tech, both kind of like how you moved into that landscape of working in ed tech and the types of work you've done and just how you see the role of teacher voice fitting in there. Well, the quick story is right after my twins were born, they're now in second grade, but right after they were born, my my wife had an awesome job opportunity in the Bay Area and kind of looked at each other and said, hey, you know, let's go, let's do it. That's an awesome opportunity. Let's sell our home in Honolulu. Let's let's kind of pack up our things where we have grandparents and family and everything. And let's let's do this on our own. So we, so we left in 2015 and we resided just outside of Palo Alto. And I was working at an independent school for 12 years up to that point. And she was like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to have to clean up my LinkedIn and I'm going to reach out to all these folks that I made connections with and say, hey, we're connected for a reason. I need, I'm need. i looking for X. And I didn't know what X was. And I felt like it was an, not only a, a restart button family-wise, 
but it was, it was an opportunity, I think, to restart what I was going to do next, that I was in a school site for over a decade. And how might I get into something that was different? Luckily, I was able to land at a nonprofit. And what the work was through this nonprofit and through Gates Foundation grant was to uh, take a look at early stage ed tech companies, like just starting out and get them into classrooms and school districts in the Bay Area and see see how it works in terms of the, both the procurement side of things and adoption all the way to the user and the students and the teachers. And let's get some feedback. And so I had about 12 companies to start that first year. And it was it was super exciting to be in this uh, unique space, grant funded nonprofit work, but around education technology and that really jump-started things. I mean, I got to talk to teachers. I got to survey students. I got to send out surveys to parents in leadership. And then, of course, talking to the companies themselves about here's the feedback that we got on what's working, what's not working. Here's some things that they're saying about how to improve the user interface or whatnot. And not only did the companies want that information, but their funders, the VCs who are helping to support these early stage companies wanted to know about it too. So that's a story about my uh, kind of entry into it. And I think it was at that moment that I, that I found that I could ride the fence, right? I could play on both sides of the fence, being on the educator side, leadership, but then also being able to have the the headspace and just the capacity to talk and address and uh, work with companies as well on how they can improve. And so from that point, it just really kind of took off. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds like such a unique and interesting position to jump into at the beginning. I had a similar like, when I first left the classroom, I worked for Teaching Channel, which at that point was also a nonprofit. And they were making videos of teachers all over the country. And for me, it was like, oh, my gosh, I get to see inside all these teachers classrooms after being in my own classroom for so long and like not seeing other teachers. And it seems like a similar experience just in being able to get a broader look at things. Yeah. And the conversations, the connections, it, it, it didn't double. It was more like it, it was three-dimensional. Like mm-hmm. it just went that way. Going to different ed tech conferences, South by Southwest EDU or ISTE or all these, but going in not as an educator, but going in as this kind of unique person scary, but also super fulfilling too. Yeah, And I really kind of look back at that as something that was super helpful for me just to uh, be introduced to the corporate side of education as well. But with a lens that I had all these years uh, over a decade of, of, of teaching as well, to be going at it with something different, that it wasn't just a sales rep or something like that. I just kind of matriculated into education technology, but I came from a place that was meaningful. So I think that has really, when I look back, just us talking right now, it's like, wow, that was a a really kind of a really awesome time. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And then what have you done since then? I know you've done a lot of things, but tell us about kind of after that, what you started doing. Yeah. So I started doing uh, some consulting work in the Bay Area, which I never thought of myself as a consultant at the time, but I just, it, it seems like I kind of just fell into it where 
One, there was a couple districts and even at the county level in the Bay Area, government, right, government entity wanting to take me on saying, hey, you know, we need some help in kind of looking at our fiscal solvency. Are we on track? One. And how do we know that what we're buying is actually being used? Yeah, good question. (laughs) And so... So I really started uh, getting into the procurement side of things on like what they were buying. Were it, was it aligned with uh, their their mission vision? Like, is it all or is it just hodgepodge and and out there? So once I started to understand the revenue streams and the vehicles for purchasing and procurement and kind of looking at whole like RFP process, all of those things from their side, that was when the first company had reached out to said, "Hey, I see your background in terms of procurement." As a buyer, did you ever think about taking those skill sets and coming to the dark side and <laughs> being a seller? I was like, I never thought about it. You know, it's 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 school districts and states that are pushing out RFPs for procuring a product. We're the ones responding to them. And you know what responses garner interest or ones that are out the door. Yeah. But you kind of help us. And help us not only in terms of technical writing, but would you be able to do some internal learning for our company on like how are schools funded? Who do we talk to that really is a, the person that we should be talking to versus cold calling out, spam emailing, at like here, I have this cool widget that you should buy. It's going to change your life, which as you know, educators and school leaders get a plethora of that that goes right into the trash. <laughs> and so that's where I kind of got into really kind of finding a, a niche in the ed tech side of things. Yeah, that's so interesting. And just hearing you talk about the technical writing and procurement and all these things that are not really explicitly connected to being a teacher. I'm curious of if that felt overwhelming moving into that world or how you learned about these things? It was a hard learn Mm -hmm. uh, initially. I made mistakes because it wasn't always just painting a nice picture for somebody to purchase, but there were some really hard questions that I had to learn because it's not just getting an ed tech product, but is it going to work in the system that we already have? So understanding the technical requirements as well was the was a hard part that I really had to catch myself up on privacy and security which we know is important but when you get down to the nitty-gritty on like what are the facets of privacy and security that a product has and doesn't have that fit with laws and compliance fit with all of those pieces that I that I that I had to kind of catch up on and it took about I guess two or three years for me to feel really confident in being able to talk with that. And then of course, right at that moment was when the pandemic came in and COVID. And interestingly, that's when work really started to ramp up Mm. because we were going to remote learning. We're going to some different pieces right away and, and monies were readily available to, procure this, not through the traditional RP process, but to do it hard and fast and how we're going to do this. So it was a real, while things were quote unquote stopping and slowing down, 
on the ed tech side, it was like it was a crazy roller coaster. And then moving forward, as we're seeing different funding vehicles like ESSER money and all that money that's kind of helping to bridge uh, the learning loss to moving forward, how a product is aligned with those key principles of ESSER money where you can fit and you can be procured and you can be aligned. All of those pieces in the in the legislation and that policy is all from the classroom. Is your product addressed uh, social emotional learning? Does it address learning loss? Is it aligned with our 21st century skills? Does it extend and help students beyond school time? So all of those types of language, when it landed in the lap of sales reps, and they would turn to me saying, what are those four things? <laughs> Help us explain, what is this? What is this social emotional learning that they, is this a new thing? Or, you know, is, is and so all of those things from the classroom now came back. And, and I really uh, had a chance to then help create some alignment with the products that different companies had to what the funding streams were so that procurement and use and adoption could be much easier. Yeah, so interesting. And as an outsider, it's like, oh, yeah, you're the perfect person, right? Like, you have this teacher language and understanding that not everybody has. And I think that's one thing that I find with teachers, and I definitely was the same way, that sometimes we think about our skills as being something that we take for granted, and that there are people out there just like, you know, you interacted with these sales reps being like, what is SEL, you know, and that skill that you have just knowing that and having been in a classroom is something that other people need. And I think that sometimes it's hard to even just see our skills that way. And I, you know, it's, it's something that it's not going to go away. You know, all of those things are already, they're important guiding principles generally, but also overtly in money streams like Title IV money. Like the, the, it, it, it's all there it's, and it always has been. It's just that the past you know, two, three years have really highlighted what is important that we know as classrooms we're already kind of doing, maybe not in that same language, but in the same vein. Mm-hmm. And now companies are adept to that. And now we're, you know, we're seeing some alignment there in terms of, what is important, how our product helps address these things. Our classroom teachers and school leaders knew it was important, but now they have some different choices to to select from. So it's going to be an interesting 24 months moving forward when all of the monies from the pandemic go away next year, which was a great shot in the arm for schools to ramp up. But it's going to happen when it goes away. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you also sharing about kind of that things were hard for you to learn at the beginning, which I think is true for everyone. You know, like I definitely when I moved from the classroom to the world of ed tech was like, I don't understand half of these words that people are using. I have no idea how to use these like different computer programs, like all these things felt simultaneously exciting, but also really overwhelming. But I think this important part, which is like true for kids and true for grownups, is that we learn from doing it and that you have to kind of go through this process of things that feel interesting to you and learn as you go through it. And I 
appreciate you sharing on what you've learned professionally. And I would love to hear if there's anything that you've learned just personally through the process of transitioning out of the classroom. It's the value proposition. I say that in the meaning of like priorities and importance personally. So that was something that I really learned. Like I never knew how much I valued time that I was the one being able to dictate the when and where I was even the one being able to dictate the how much when I was going to work, where is it going to be? How much sweat equity am I going to put into this? Or is this an easy? And then of course the ability to say no. So it all rested around time. And I think it was just myself getting out of my thirties, heading into my forties and saying, Hey, you know, my kids are important. What can I do to create a work environment that lends itself to me coaching baseball or sitting with my daughter to practice her piano? And that that was a big driver after the fact, almost like I, I settled into it. And as I was thinking about why or will I continue this work or, or what it may be, it's like, wait a second, like taking a step back, just there's other people that are enjoying the fruits of unique labor in terms of moving from the classroom into consulting corporate and they benefited. And so that's something that it wasn't part of the journey and the map per se, like this is what's going to happen at this time. It kind of happened, but it was a realization that like, wow, whether it was happenstance or not, I mean, it was just glad that was able to pivot into the role as education consultant at that time. Yes, that's awesome. I know that flexibility is so key. I also left the classroom when my daughter was born. And I have two kids, you know, that are school age. And I just feel so thankful that I can pick them up at school most days and be around if they're sick. And it's not like a major disaster, you know, finding a sub and doing all the things, you know, having that flexibility for sure. So what about for people who want to move into the world of flexible work and education or working in ed tech? Do you have any advice for them? Don't be scared. I think it goes back to a little bit about uh, what we just talked about of what's important. Are you doing it? You know, what's important to you, your family, your life? Like what's important and how are these professional endeavors going to enhance that? And, you know, the grass isn't always greener as well. I mean, because, you know, like we talked about, you know, there's, there's, there's a learning curve too, if you're making a dive. So we're, you know, there's great opportunity, but be mindful as well. You know, you scour LinkedIn or Indeed and there, there's roles for folks in, in sales or whatnot saying, hey, you know, we're really looking for classroom teachers or former teachers who have this background, this deafness to education and classrooms in, in elementary and middle and high school, all this. And, and you're really going to help us in this. And, and, and that's, that's the shiny object, right? That's like, oh, wow, they're really looking for teachers. I'm going to go and apply. It's the yes and, right? Yes, awesome. And don't forget that there is some learning involved. You are dealing with quotas as you're moving into sales. You're doing all of these other pieces that are going to be challenging. I, I think just being, taking your time, having that, I guess, that compass of like where you want to be 
think about how you're going to get there. Opportunities are out there. There's no need to like hunt and gather for those. It's, it's, it's readily available. It's just making sure that whatever you do is aligned with the work that you've done, how you want to live your life. And then once all that is done, then you just say, all right, let's go. Yes, I love that. Because I think it's sometimes it's just not black and white, right? Like it's about exactly what you're saying. It's about learning what you've done and what you've learned through your past experience and what your skills and interests are. It's about thinking about, like you said, you know, what do you want in your actual life? You know, do you want flexibility? Do you want to be able to travel, be home for your kids? Like whatever it is. And then, of course, like a money piece too, right? It's just like, how much money do you need to make? And then also the impact that you want to make. And do you feel aligned with this company's or this organization's values that you want to work with? And then when you have those, or at least some part of those, I feel like it's easier to go through that bumpy part of it, you know, where you're like, yeah, you're not going to know everything. It's not going to be like you just walk in and you know exactly what to do. And that's kind of what's great about it. Like I felt like with teaching, it was often Groundhog's Day being like, all right. I mean, it's always hard, but you know, after doing it for a while, it was like, all right, I've, I've taught this same lesson over and over. Like I know what kids are going to say, you know, I know what the misunderstandings are going to be. So moving into a whole new world of things is both exciting and can be overwhelming. And so Mm -hmm. I think just like riding it out and knowing that's all part of the process. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. Well, Casey, it's been so great talking with you. Can you share where folks can connect with you or learn more about you? Definitely find me on LinkedIn. Uh, That's a a really great place to start. And educators, if you're not already on there, you don't have your professional profile set up or whatnot, do it. It's a must have, not only for yourself in the classroom and connecting with folks professionally, but if at some point you're ready to pivot to something else, you already have that ready to go. And and you've seen profiles like mine that can highlight the classroom piece as well as these pieces. So definitely a LinkedIn is the first place to go to connect with me. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Casey. It was so nice talking with you. All right. Nice talking with you. Thanks, everyone. Ready to find rewarding, impactful work in the education world? Take our free quiz to discover your next right career step. Will you be a curriculum developer, an education consultant, instructional coach? The list of possibilities goes on and on. Take the quiz to find out the best fit for you at educatorforever.com slash quiz. You'll also receive customized resources to kickstart your dream career and life.